You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Welcome back to the podcast. So on Sunday, I preached about hope. We are in the Advent season at Carterville, and we are anticipating our celebration on Christmas Eve as we celebrate Jesus Christ and His coming to us in the Incarnation. Likewise, we are looking forward to His return. We believe that when Jesus comes back, He will redeem His people, that He will be a good King, and that He will usher in a new creation, an age that is coming that is better than anything you or I have ever lived in, when all the things that are broken become fixed and restored. So while we're talking about hope, I want to tap in to this idea that the people of God had been hopeful. They had been hoping for a long time for a branch to shoot up from the stump of King David. That is fancy Old Testament language for the fact that David's dynasty and the promise that David would have a king eternally on the throne blessed and ruling for God, that dynasty of David seems to have been broken. It's left like a stump. But prophecies had hung in the air over Israel for hundreds of years that God would restore the dynasty of David, that a shoot would spring up, a branch out of that dead stump that would be a king, a ruler, who would fulfill the prophecies that were made to David. And this became transposed on the idea of the Jewish Messiah, the anointed leader who would come to start things, to redeem, to rescue, to make things right for Israel. And as we press all of that onto the birth of Jesus, let's talk a little bit about hope. So if we recount the history of Israel for just a quick minute. We know that in 722 BC, that is 722 years roughly before the birth of Jesus, and I think Jesus was born a few years before the year zero, so a little bit less than that, the northern kingdom, Tim tribes, were decimated by Assyria. They were conquered, they were drug off into exile, and 10 of the 12 Jewish tribes were now assimilated into the nations. They lost their sovereign identity. They lost their nation and their place. It wasn't much longer than that, 586 BC, when Jerusalem and the surrounding area was conquered by Babylon. And that finalized the overthrow of God's people. So now all the tribes were in exile. The sovereign kings were imprisoned. The line of David had been broken. They were vassals paying taxes to their overlords. Uh, They were crippled in every way. They were poor. The people that had uh, leadership prestige were already in exile, people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, lots of other leaders, according to the letter that Jeremiah sent in Jeremiah 29, were already in Babylon. God's people were living in exile or at home in poverty. But for a long time, the people were decimated. We know the stories of Nehemiah and Ezra 
trying to help rebuild, of Zechariah and Haggai preaching about a temple and having the temple finally be restored smaller than the original. But in every way as Israel was returning from exile, their return from exile was less than they'd hoped. The new temple wasn't glorious. They weren't prosperous. They weren't well protected from their enemies. They still struggled. Even in the book of Esther, you read about the plight of the Jews who lived scattered among the nations where they were almost decimated through genocide in a day. But God rescued them. So I guess what I would say is that at best, the people of Israel for hundreds of years had hoped that God would fulfill the promises that he'd made through the prophets. These hopeful visions that Isaiah had seen and others about a branch, about a ruler born in Bethlehem, about one who would have healing in his wings. All of these promises that anticipated something better that would come in with the introduction of a new king, a new kingdom, restoring Israel's fortunes. So when we talk about hope in the context of Christmas and the Advent season, I think we should respect all these prophecies that the Jewish people clung to that for generations, while they were still in poverty or in slavery or scattered abroad among the nations, wishing they could be a people again, having their nation restored, living as exiles or refugees or in king's courts under hiding, like Esther and Mordecai, that for hundreds of years, the Jewish people held on to this hope. So the day that Jesus was born, There was the beginning of a fulfillment of promises that were connected to thousands of hearts who'd held hope for generations. And I want to read, um, with that in mind, I want to read the account from Luke chapter 2 of a day when Jesus was taken into the temple as a baby and he met a man named Simeon. So let let me read this passage to you. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. As you meet this character, Simeon, in the story, you see that he is waiting. He's holding on. He's one of those hopeful people who've heard the promises and believes them. All right, so verse 26 now. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined 
to call the, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, this is a pretty heavy passage because you look at these last words about a sword piercing, piercing your soul, and the, the falling and rising of nations, and thoughts being exposed, and you recognize that as Jesus brings the messianic hope to Israel, it's not always going to be easy, that it will be painful. He predicts a cross that will cause a piercing of Mary's soul as she watches her son die. She recognizes that it will cause the rising and falling of nations. In fact, 40 years um, after the death of Jesus, you know, Jerusalem would be toppled by the Romans partially because the high priest led the nation to reject Jesus and continue in rebellion. And no doubt, lots of other nations rose and fell around the person of Jesus and his, his invisible kingdom that spans the globe and beyond. But what's powerful to me is imagining this guy, Simeon, who is righteous who is devout, who loves God, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit reveals to him that he will get to see with his eyes the hope of Israel. So hundreds of years of Israel's waiting, to me, is really captured well in the life of this one righteous man as he sees Jesus and recognizes that this is the king. Now, you and I both know that as he held an infant, He could imagine things that would happen, but there's no way his imagination was spot on. That he would see the lepers cleanse and that he would see Jesus as a humble king who would die on a cross and be raised from the dead. There's no doubt that Simeon didn't fully understand the glory of Israel and how God would restore and the hope that Jesus would bring. But nonetheless, as he held Jesus, he said, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared. I love this character. I love the way Simeon stands there holding Jesus, knowing that he is holding what everyone has been hoping for for hundreds of years. He's holding the answer to the prayers of countless Jews throughout all the nations where they've been scattered, what Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah would have loved to have seen, what Micah believed in, what Malachi dreamed of, what Hosea would have longed to have seen. And here he is, Simeon. He's allowed to look at Jesus, and he knows that this is our hopes and dreams fulfilled. Now, I want to translate that to our time, right? You and I, we have a different kind of hope. Like We also are hoping for a better kingdom. That one day God will bring a world where there is no more hate and confusion, no more anger and bitterness and greed, no more racism and jealousy, and no more addictions and struggle, no more evil and hate, no more broken self-esteem, no more wounded pride, no more angry bitterness, no more covetousness. Well, you and I are hoping for a new creation, for the day that Jesus comes back, the day that Jesus' kingdom is manifest among us and there's no more tears or sickness, no more illness or death or dying or hate. We're longing for that in our hearts, just the way Israel in exile had been longing for their hope to come. And it was Jesus. And now you and I have seen another chapter of the story. And we wait. We're on the other side of the birth of Jesus, but we're on this side of his return. And so as you and I live, we'll live like Simeon, hoping for what we know that Jesus will do. Simeon didn't get to see all the things that Christ would bring, exactly what kind of a Messiah he would be. He didn't get to hear the parables. He didn't get to see the resurrection of Lazarus or the empty tomb, very likely. 
But Simeon knew that he was beholding the hope of Israel. And I believe the same thing. So this Christmas, as you and I celebrate Advent, as we worship Jesus, I would encourage you, let hope well up in your heart and don't forget what you're hoping for. With every piece of bad news or every frustrated thing that you hear, remember that Jesus is coming to fix it and let that hope grow. Let it build. Let it make something beautiful happen. So as you and I live faithfully for Jesus as we wait for his return, let's worship him well during this Advent season, recognizing that he continues to be the hope of the world. And we are his people, ambassadors for his kingdom. We live in this hope. Let's share this hope with people. Church family, I love you. I'm glad to get to uh, have the opportunity to chat with you. Let's be faithful with our week on mission. I cannot wait to see you this Sunday. God bless you, church family.